Hey guys, it's Derek from the Jesus Name News Podcast. I got Larry here with me. And yes, we are entering the greatest season of all, Christmas. <laughs> but before we actually start out, um, we do need to kind of give a shout out to, I guess, our Jewish brothers. Um, Hanukkah is, I believe it's either going on or it's just around the corner, I guess you'll tell us. But um, my thing is with Hanukkah, I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of historical misunderstanding with Hanukkah as well. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm very interested in Hanukkah because of, I, I know some of the historical roots. And if you actually know any of the historical roots, I believe that you'll find this enjoyable as well. Um, yeah. As far as it being the holiday season, if you are Jewish or you celebrate Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, so Larry, why don't you yeah. do So your Hanukkah words? in 2021 is from November 28th to December, to December 6th. Um, Hanukkah is a Jewish festival. It's a Jewish feast, right? It's eight days long, celebrating the retaking of Jerusalem and the rededication, the second dedication of the second temple. Okay. And it's during the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire in the second century BCE. Okay. So Hanukkah is this thing. And the thing that interested me about Hanukkah so much is like, I remember when I was a kid, right? And we would do like Christmas programs, right? And one of the ways that we always got to do like real Christmas songs in my public school program when I was a kid was that we would do like a Hanukkah song and we would do some secular songs like, you know, Santa Claus and Rudolph and stuff. But then we could also do like Silent Night and Joy to the World and some of the more like traditional Christmas songs about Jesus, even though it was a public school because it was posited as we're being, we're representing all these different cultures equally that have these major holidays. So like when you. I was a kid, I thought Hanukkah was Jewish Christmas. <laughs> like, like that's almost what it's painted but, as culturally. But, but I mean, to be fair, honestly, like I, my ideas of, you know, the cultural antics of Hanukkah actually come from Rugrats, the Rugrats episode about Hanukkah. I mean, mine comes from Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song, so. Okay, well, so we, we had a very good base for this one. I, I mean, so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm very well-versed in how Hanukkah works, obviously, from that song. But, I, I mean, I, I guess this is the thing, is that, like, it, it's, it's interesting because, as we've talked about, when we've talked about some of the festivals we've talked about, and as we continue on, we're going to talk about some of the other ones, is that there's all these important religious feasts Hanukkah is not one of them. Okay. Hanukkah is interesting because it's, it's a minor feast in terms of religious religiosity, right? It's not, doesn't have a bunch of temple requirements. It doesn't have all this stuff, right? It's not like Passover where you have all this stuff you have to read from the, the Torah and you have to wear certain clothes. You have to have your shoes ready and you have to prepare the food in a certain way as described in Egypt 
1500 years ago. Good luck doing that in a modern kitchen. Right. And like all this stuff. And, and so it's like Hanukkah doesn't have like any of that stuff. Right. And so the reason that we hear of Hanukkah the way that we do a lot of times is because secular Jews, quote unquote, right, hang on to it. So Hanukkah is kind of like Christmas to Jews in that Hanukkah is the time of year when all the people who claim to be Jews but don't really practice it, and in some cases don't actually believe it at all, suddenly become very, very Jewish. Kind of like how on Christmas and Easter suddenly everyone's a Christian. Yeah, fair. But then on the 26th of December and whatever the day after Easter is, suddenly they're not anymore again. Right. And so like, it's interesting to me that this is the day, but it also makes sense that this is kind of the day that is pushed among that group. That is kind of the secular highlight because you get into some really deep theology with all the other major feast days, Hanukkah, not so much. Right. So Hanukkah is about that time period and we find it in a few places historically we find that a a number of references to this and it's interesting is that there is sort of disagreement in some of these but not really disagreement as we'll see okay so there's some secular sources josephus talks about it okay things like that um The book of Daniel, a lot of people believe chapters 10 through 12 are actually about this time period. Okay. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. We're not going to get into that today, but um, there's a lot of scholarly thought that those chapters of Daniel are about this time period. Um, And then there's the book of Maccabees. And there's actually a whole bunch of book of Maccabees Maccabees out there. But there's first and second Maccabees actually cover this time period. Um, First Maccabees covers a much more, a a slightly larger time period than second Maccabees, but they both cover the time of this event. Okay. And why we say there's disagreement is that first Maccabees is very, very historical. It has a tone and has a style similar to the historical books of the Old Testament. So it reads like Samuel or Chronicles or Kings, mm-hmm. okay, in that it just kind of states the, the highlights of what happened, and it just kind of gives you the facts, okay? No spiritual implications, really. No spiritual implications. Second Maccabees is where we get the weird stuff. Okay. Second Maccabees is emotional. It contains a bunch of information about like how they felt and what they thought. And it has a bunch of stuff about praying for the dead and other theological ideas that don't fit all that well in Christian or Jewish thinking. Again, I, I just, I feel like that's the case with second Maccabees over and over and over again. Like we've talked about it before. Yeah, it just doesn't fit really in anything. And I feel like that's why probably Protestantism made the right call and not regarding it as, you know, canon. Yeah. And I mean, even even taking that into account, there's a lot of historical accuracy in these books. Um, 
But Second Maccabees makes it much more theological than First Maccabees does. And and then beyond that, there's like so, I think there's Maccabees. ten Maccabees total. So and the other one's just, just real quick. Second Maccabees would basically be like the Jeremiah version of First Maccabees, then kind of lamentation type stuff. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That's so, fine. so yeah. what we see is there. There's this revolt, right? There's a revolt, and and they take the temple, and in taking the temple, they find that all of the holy oil except for one sealed container has been defiled and they cannot use it, but they need the lights to stay lit. Okay. And so they light them. And what ends up happening is they only had one day supply of oil and it takes eight days to make more. And so the priests got about to making more oil and that one day of oil ended up lasting for eight days. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the basis of Hanukkah that I think we all know. Yeah. Uh, but when you're talking about, you know, them going to the temple and the oil being defiled, I think we need to un- like back up and understand what we're talking about being defiled. Uh, yeah. Particularly the menorah, the candlesticks that were, you know, kind of like the second level, like just before the Holy of Holies. Um, It was very dark in there. The only thing that was in there giving light was the candlestick, the the stand, the menorah. That's the part that kind of confused me is like, why did they need the light in this specific area? (laughs) Well, and I couldn't find anything to like, say like was it a signal like what was it exactly well i mean so i'm going to use new testament to interpret old testament uh, as a christian obviously that's what we do so yeah. the way i view it and th- this dates back I-, I believe to the tabernacle even um the way i view it is that it's kind of an allegory or foreshadowing of jesus you know the light shining in the darkness you know the only light in the world being Jesus, right? That's the way I kind of view it. And that's the way a lot of scholars and theologians view it as well. Uh, And I don't view it that way because of them. I view it that way because I did enough studying and I was like, oh, that well, I see that. Uh, Because what you have to know is that in this part of the temple and in the tabernacle, it would have been very difficult for sunlight or anything to get in because of the materials that they were using. It was very thick, very heavy, hard to hard to get hard hard for those fibers to let sunlight in. So it was really completely sealed off. And if that candlestick goes out, that's it. That you will also. Not be able to I have a feeling. I think what the issue was is the temple itself was under siege. Well, I mean, they took it so over. If- Well, yeah, they took it over, but if they were under siege in the temple and they couldn't leave and the only light they were willing to use was the proper light of the tabernacle in the temple, then that makes sense. Okay, fair. Because then otherwise they would have been plunged into complete darkness because the room had no windows. 
Correct. So the only way they could have functionally defended themselves was if that light lasted. So just just as a reference, this is when you're talking about the second temple period, you're talking about the one that was rebuilt by, was it Nehemiah? Nehemiah. Yeah. Nehemiah. And then yeah, so Nehemiah a- rebuilt the temple after coming back from Babylon. Um, this is like 300 years later. Yeah. Right? Because this is like one, I want to say it's like 167 BCE. Correct. Yes. And so like, this is like the second temple actually existed for almost 600 years because it wasn't destroyed until the fall of Jerusalem from Rome in like 70 AD. So the second temple existed for a long time. So, but Hanukkah is not just celebrating the fact that the Maccabeans survived and it's represented by celebrating this menorah that stayed light and all lit and all that stuff. Right. But the other thing that it is celebrating is the dedication of the temple, the rededication. Okay. And the interesting thing about this is that Nehemiah's temple was very modest. Okay. If you look in the Bible, yeah, if you look in the Bible, so we start with the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the most elaborate tent that has ever been built. Okay. Like this thing is ridiculous. It, It has multiple layers of super fancy silks and all kinds of stuff. Everything is gold, not gold plated, but like actual gold. And it's just, it's this moving moving expensive showpiece okay and solomon is given permission to build a temple that david saved up for his whole life and i've read accounts that solomon's temple is like the most expensive thing that's ever been built because by the accounts given in the bible david and or solomon depending on when they spent the money were like the richest people ever to live well, I mean, uh, and here's here's the thing about it doesn't really matter with Hanukkah, but here's the thing about that: it makes total sense because of the location of Israel. Yeah. So, because Israel was a crossroads between really Egypt and you know the Far East. Yeah, and he, he, however exaggerated some of that information was, it doesn't matter. The point is, the tabernacle was ridiculous. The temple was ridiculous compared to ridiculous okay well, and and the problem is as ridiculous as probably the temple was like as far as grand, grandiose it was solomon's house took double the amount of time to build <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the jews were punished for re- re- revolting against god basically i mean that's what it was let's be real here they revolted against god they turned their backs on him And so God punished them. And in that punishment, the temple was destroyed. Okay. The second temple was built by Nehemiah. Nehemiah, they literally are having to build with their weapons of war in their hands. Okay. They are not building this thing for pretty. Yep. They're building it to get it up. They want it up. They want the walls up and they want it to exist. And they're not trying to compete with the temples of the pagan gods that their neighbors had. They didn't care because they knew that their God was the one true God. And that was all that mattered. They didn't need a giant gold building. 
to worship him. Well, it, and Nehemiah is actually, I believe, described it's he was zealous for, yeah. you know, like that when you have that kind of zeal for God, it doesn't matter how big or how small something is if it is in honor of god when you have that kind of zeal god honors it doesn't matter to use modern terms you know notre dame is a pretty church you know lakewood is a pretty church but so is the backwoods country church with some old wood pews that are super uncomfortable and no niceties exactly because at the end of the day if I go there and I meet God, that place is perfect. It's holy. Okay. And so they had that. Well, as part of this rededication, and when they read these, these, the Maccabean revolt happened and these zealots took over, they, and by zealot, I don't mean like just zealous people. I mean like Jewish rebels who are killing people. Which, by the way, James was a zealot. Was it James? Yeah, it was James. Yeah. James well, the other James was a zealot. Yeah, not James, the brother of Jesus. Or James, the brother of John. Yeah. So the other, other James? Yeah, yeah. the other, other James. <laughs> um. So they, as part of this, they re-rebuilt the temple, sort of. Like, they didn't tear it down. It wasn't destroyed, but it was sort of defiled. And in part of this it took on the face and the features that history knows of the second temple. So like, if you go to Israel and you see like models of the second temple and stuff, they're all modeled after what they built in the Maccabean revolt. Yeah. Right. They're not based on Nehemiah's temple because Nehemiah's temple wasn't really much to look at. They're based on this temple that was meant to, it, it had stone call. It had stone carvings. It had giant columns. It had all the to do of a quote unquote proper temple. Right. Okay. And so the celebration is honor of that. In honor of that, Judas Maccabeus, one of the leaders of the revolt. In case you didn't notice his last name, Maccabeus. It is related to Maccabean. Right. Shocker. It, Yeah, he ordered this eight day celebration in honor of the revolt to celebrate their victory in this war and to celebrate the rebuilding of the temple to be an eight day celebration called the Festival of Lights. Okay, now here's the thing. The other interesting thing about all of this, in addition to just the fact that they they made this temple grand right, which we'll get back to, is that this whole frame, according to Protestant theology, happened in a time when supposedly God was not active, which has always been super weird to me. Yeah. And so I I got to bring it up real quick and talk about this because the 400 years of silence definitely comes into this because if God provided any miracle of any sort, whether we think the theology of second Maccabees is total garbage or not. If God actually protected them by performing a miracle, then the 400 years of silence isn't true. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that in reference to silence, it's more about God speaking through prophets. 
uh, I think that's what it is. I don't really know that it's necessarily that he didn't perform or he wasn't working. It was more that he didn't speak through his prophet. Yeah, but I mean, even that, I just, I feel like there isn't any evidence of it. It's just, we don't have canon from this time period, which, I mean, even then, who knows? I mean, we don't know exactly when all of this stuff was written. Well, and, and what you have to realize, too, is that this is also the time period that, uh, you know, this 400 years of silence after the exile, this is the time period where you actually see synagogues becoming a thing and local local teaching taking place of, you know, constant travel to Jerusalem. So it isn't like there aren't things moving, evolving, shaping, and it isn't like God isn't just, it isn't like God is just sitting there watching his people. It's interesting. The same thing stopped the Jewish canonization that stopped the Christian canonization. It became decentralized, and once it became decentralized, they no longer had an explicit statement of who the people who had the right to say absolutes were. And so since it became decentralized and all the synagogues had their own leaders who heard from God, right? Right. They could no longer say, like this one word is absolute, everybody follow it. Because if anybody disagreed with it, then you'd have differences in canon. Interesting. And that's kind of what happened with the Christian Bible. Because, I mean, like, there's people in the first century, I think it's Irenaeus. Yeah. I hope I'm saying it right. Like, he has tons of really good stuff. It doesn't disagree with any of our theology, as far as I know. Right. He was basically condemned as a heretic. Right. And the thing is, is that he was the direct. I think he was he was a student of Timothy, I think. I want to say. Right. And so, like, my and my point is, is he's just one example. But we have all of these people that were the next generation that had that directly walked with Peter and Paul and James. And we even have theories that some of the letters in the New Testament were written by disciples of Paul under Paul's name and all this stuff, right? But once you get past that first generation, you don't have the clout of this is the singular prophet because everybody didn't come together and declare a singular prophet. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah, so no, 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 I get you. It, because it's not that, I mean, even today, like, you know, <laughs> the last time we both went to church, we believe that our pastors heard a word of God and spoke a word of God. And that word of God isn't less valuable than the Bible. Right. Right. But because everyone in Christendom didn't come together and agree that that was absolute true, it's not canonized because that's all canon really is. And so it's just really interesting that when you look at it like that, like the same thing ended up happening and that that is why we call it that. And I guess the side is just, it's interesting to me that this holiday that's pushed as like the big Jewish holiday is in a time is claiming that God moved in a supernatural way in a time when a lot of people who are Christians kind of don't think he did. 
Yeah. You know, and, and I just, I find that super interesting. Like I, and I think it's something that it needs to be mentioned in this context, even though it's not about Hanukkah at all. It's just theologically, the idea of Hanukkah messes with some things that we take for granted and just kind of repeat at times. And you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person I'm always going to bring that stuff up. <laughs> it's just, it, here's the thing with Hanukkah and it fitting in. I think if we had taken Maccabean, the Maccabean writings as canon, we would have a less uh, organized idea of the 400 years of silence, uh, simply because Maccabeus obviously goes up against that. Um, because most of the time people are like, well, there was no writing going on. There was no, like, and really, like I said, that the 400 years of silence doesn't reference that there was nothing going on spiritually. It just means that God was not speaking through prophets. And, you know, that is well documented throughout Jewish, uh, writing during the time period that the prophets were basically gone. The schools of the prophets were not producing any kind of work. So, you know, that, that's where it kind of comes from. Um, now it being Hanukkah, things like that, like, uh, it's kind of like this, like I view Hanukkah in this context as really, uh, like, okay, you didn't go to church on Monday and Tuesday, or you didn't go to church all week. Does that mean God just stopped? I mean, that's kind of the idea. But just because you didn't go to church or you didn't hear a word from God, does that mean that God just stopped? No. Yeah. I mean, God, God always loved his people. So, I mean, it, it's kind of an erroneous idea that personally I believe that God just stopped. And there are some people that believe that. But either way, back to Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess that kind of brings us, I mean, that's the basis of what it is. And it, it's really a modern pop culture phenomenon. I mean, Jews have followed it. I mean, it, it's talked about in the Talmud. It's talked about in other places. Interestingly, the Talmud, when I was studying, it actually almost comes up with like non-spiritual ways that the menorahs, that the, the candlestick stayed lit. Well, it's because... It's critical. It's a critical. Writer. Yeah, it's just it's interesting in that like they instead of looking at it like, hey, obviously they lit the whole thing the whole time. They're like, well, what if they just rationed it and they just lit what they needed when they needed it? And that's how it lasted for eight days. And it wasn't quite as miraculous as they're making it out to be. I feel like um, it's basically what the Pharisees did to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and the thing is, is like, it's interesting because that's totally how I think. Yeah. And it's it, it's not that it has zero basis, right? It's just that the truth is probably somewhere in between. Yeah, I mean that's you always know, the case. Yeah, and so I, I what is what should Hanukkah be to Christians, right? And and so I have a couple of things that I think. I think first, the reason we should care about Hanukkah on some level is just it's people's beliefs and it's their lives and if we want people to hear our voices, we need to show them the respect 
to have some basic understanding of their voices and what they see and how they live and exist, especially when it's not hurting people. I mean, it's not like we're going, you know, human sacrifice is okay. Cause that's what you believe that no one's saying that that's ridiculous, but like you're lighting some candles and spinning a dreidel, like, great. That's awesome. I'm glad that that makes you happy and it makes you feel connected to your family and your community. That's a good thing. Well, it's almost like, how i mean it, this is it's less spiritual well it should be less spiritual <laughs> it's almost like july 4th or independence day yeah but think of it kind of in those terms or or thanksgiving or oh, thanksgiving is a better one or arbor day let's plant yeah. a tree who doesn't want to plant some trees like i like breathing let's plant a tree please i'm fine with that yeah, yeah. yeah like it, it doesn't hurt anybody like, okay. But so celebrating Hanukkah though is where it gets a little weirder. And I just, I don't see the value or the necessity, I guess. I mean, value. Sure. Okay. Recognizing a historical thing. Fine. But like, I don't see the necessity in, in celebrating this. I, I just. When even Orthodox Jews <laughs> don't see the value in it. I mean, they, they do it out of tradition. Yeah, but I just it, it just doesn't feel like something. I mean, for one, I question so much about it. I mean, I, I, I question the fact that there's multiple narratives about why they revolted. Even in First and Second Maccabees, they seem to have different reasonings for the revolt. And that makes me question whether it was really just or not. Well, here... Right? The thing about and, the and, they were constantly revolting around about, over whoever was... a of them yeah they were constantly revolting and it's like okay at some point the fact that the romans were so suspicious of y'all revolting was because that's literally all you did exactly but and they didn't help themselves you know with having secret you know but organized groups designated to like understanding and how to like take down generals and different political leaders like they they knew how to assassinate people like the zealots were an actual organized group <laughs> yeah and and so like i question that the fact that even their own records don't seem to fully agree on why they revolted i, I feel like if god was the basis of the revolt there would actually like be a a, a solid reason the second thing is is that like, I question the dedication of the temple itself. I mean, not just the 400 years of silence. Like, I, I know we covered that, but like one way or the other, like God definitely was like very questionably a part of like direct function of Israel at this point. Right. Right. And, and, and so like, they take the temple and they rebuild it and they make it look like all the other temples. Right. And we're celebrating this. It just yeah. seems weird to me. Like it, it seems counter to what God would have wanted. Like God directed Nehemiah, like Jews and Christians all agree that God directed Nehemiah to do what he did. And then someone came along and added to it. And then someone came along and made it look like everybody else's stuff. But isn't that literally what got them sent to Babylon? 
I mean, defiling temple, yes. I mean, yeah, it's literally like making the temple no better than the pagan temples is like a huge which, part of the problem. Which we've already talked about with like the Valley of Ge- Gehenna and all that. Like, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, when you get into the history of Israel, it's so complicated and so evident that it's God inspired. But yeah, at the same time, they cause themselves so many issues. That's what I run into with them. They. And it's not that I, I'm dogging the Jewish narrative or race, whatever. But like, all I'm yeah. saying is like the history of like the Jewish land is complicated. It's long. It's hard. It's filled with violence, and a lot of times that violence isn't the Jews doing the violent things. A lot of times it's the Jews having violent things done to them. Yeah. And the Bible clearly gives reasons why those things happened. So uh, all this can be really echoed, in my opinion, back to Jesus' time. You know, it's the holiday season, Christmas. In my opinion, all this can be referenced back to Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, everybody wanted the Messiah to come and bring political redemption and you know deliverance and what they missed was is that the messiah was unconcerned with what was going on politically and more concerned with what was going on spiritually you know sound similar anybody out there yeah. uh, but either way you go on this like it's hanukkah yes while spiritually unnecessary it does provide people with a sense of belonging a sense of joy a sense of peace a sense of happiness yeah and honestly at the end of the day jesus probably celebrated hanukkah in some way shape or form or at least festival of lights right yeah but that he was a jew that wouldn't have been too far-fetched for him to do that i mean he he was according to the bible he was he looked just like everyone else you wouldn't have distinguished him from anyone else at that time period so he was probably also before his ministry fitting in i mean people in galilee asked like hey who's this guy that he's the son of a carpenter like what does he know so he was probably fitting in really well up until that point not really like people probably knew yeah there's something special about him but at the same time they didn't really think that anything good could come out of galilee yeah so you know uh that's the way i feel about this like yeah i always look we always try to connect every episode back to jesus so that's my connection to jesus with this to yeah, me, and- the history of Israel has always longed for a deliverer. It's always longed for something higher than itself, which is just the history of humanity, really. Yeah. But that's my connection to Jesus here. Yeah. When it yeah and I think my, my big connection and takeaway, it, it's slightly different in that 
I, when I look at the Bible, I don't look at just a call to connect to God. I look at a call to connect to your community and to the people around you. And it's just as important. And so, you know what, (laughs) if you need to connect and you do it by spinning a dreidel and lighting a candlestick every eight day for eight days and doing whatever else it is that you do, go for it. Like be connected. Like if, if having another holiday connects us better than let's have another ho- let's have let's have 365 holidays. If it connects us better than having 10 or one, then let's do it. Can we make that happen? Like seriously, like if that's what it takes for us to properly connect and consistently connect and to, to intertwine our lives together in a way that, that, that betters us even more then let's do that. And, and, and so like, as much as I have questions about its origin and what happened and how it happened and why it happened and all of that stuff at the end of the day, none of that matters. Like something miraculous happened whether God intervened and lit that those candles for eight days, or they conserved the oil, or they had more than they realized, or whatever, they were massively outnumbered in that battle. And by logic, they should not have won. And they did. And, they did. and in winning, they took back God's temple. And whether you disagree or not with what they did to upgrade, quote unquote, God's temple, at least on some level, they were trying to do it to God. And so, you know, let's just keep that in mind. And let's, let's remember that God didn't just call us to connect to him. And so if something connects you to other people and it's not bad, that makes it good. Yep. Because connecting to people is as important as connecting to God. It is the holiday season. Yeah. And I feel like that's a good spot to end it. Like, yes, guys, go like during the season. It's supposed to be a season of finding joy and giving rather than receiving and, you know, spreading joy. I know as a dad, I personally feel it is my job to spread Christmas cheer. So that's what I try to do during the holiday season. Like, I love it. And I want other people to be happy about it and be happy about Jesus. And maybe if they're not religious, just find some joy and someone doing something good or nice. Right? Yeah. So, guys, I guess that's kind of our call to action. Go out there and just try to do good to people. That's kind of the main focus here. Like, just go out if if someone needs help help them if someone you know if your neighbor needs you know shoes or whatever like help them out give them their give them shoes give them a jacket give them as long as you don't play christmas shoes while you do it god bless you yeah don't don't play christmas shoes don't no one wants to hear that yeah however you know do some good spread some joy and join us the next few weeks because we're going to be talking about jesus i mean who knew jesus name news is going to talk about jesus but uh it's that time of year and we're going to talk about his birth we're going to talk about who he is and why he is who he is and what that means and so join us as usual every wednesday wherever you hear your podcasts 
or at jesusnamenetwork.com.